Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 25 of The Bank. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. I'm Jordan Coe. You guys can check us out at baltimoresportsandlife.com. We both write some articles over there about the Ravens, um, checking them out during the season. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Um, we're here to talk a little bit about the Ravens so far this year. And, you know, Gabe, I think that the the overwhelming the overwhelming consensus is um, that the Ravens are are looking good. They're three and one. They're in kind of the position we thought they would be in at the end of four games. They could play a little bit better, but you know, there's there's not a whole lot of, to worry about on the Ravens front right now. I would say. Yeah, I mean, they've obviously had that one bad game against Kansas City, but I think you know Kansas City is the kind of team that can make any team look bad. So that's not something I would say is overly emblematic of the Ravens season. I think they've had three other games where they've pretty handily won. Um, they still have one of the best point differentials in the league. Um, you know, they're looking good via DVOA. They've, they've scored well. I mean, they're, I know there's a lot of kind of noise about the Ravens run game, not being where, where it should be. And, and I've been part of that, but they're still like putting up 160 yards per game on the ground, 5.4 yards per carry. Like those are not numbers to like laugh at. Like that's good. Good job, I think, overall. And, and maybe the macro looks better than the micro. There's plays you can kind of, you know, nitpick at and say they're, you're not working out here. Um, but overall, yeah, I think the Ravens look good. I think Lamar Jackson's played really well through four games. He had that one pretty mediocre to poor performance against Kansas City. But, you know, aside from that, I think uh, the Ravens are, yeah, in a great position. They, they obviously... Um, have a chance to beat another divisional opponent this week, which will help them out. Um, and I think that that's going to be, you know, just one more more win. You stack wins early in the season and then hopefully find your groove later. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the biggest, I mean, there are definitely some questions about the Ravens. And I've certainly, if you're reading on the message board, been part of the, the group of people asking them. But I think the the bigger existential crisis that we're facing is not climate change right now, but how COVID is going to affect the NFL, right? Um, and we've got four teams now with outbreaks, two teams that played each other that had outbreaks before that they happened, and they still played on Monday. And then you've got you know the star cornerback of one of those teams in pictures hugging with a star quarterback of the other team 24 hours before he gets his diagnosis. Um, you've got a Titans team breaking protocol, getting together in these off-season workouts with each other, even though they know that there's an outbreak in their team. Um, are we going to have an NFL season that runs 16 weeks, 17 weeks? So this is definitely something that was always possible, right? Like we knew that there could be a COVID outbreak within a team. It could spread to other teams. Like this is kind of something that we all knew could happen, I think the NFL was a little arrogant about how they went about their business. They kind of thought, oh, we'll put these protocols in place and we're not going to have any major issues. Well, it turns out we're having some issues. And, you know, the Titans have already missed one game. They still have players testing positive, you know, a week later. Um, at some point, you have to consider the, the idea of having a forfeiture, I think. I think that's been bat bantied around as like an actual thing that might happen, which I don't even know has ever happened in the NFL. I'm not sure. Um, but if you can't field a team that is healthy and is going to not infect the other team and it's due to your own negligence, then, you know, there are going to be some steep consequences and we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out, but there might be some significant um, things, some penalties that get levied. Um, you know, the, the NFL might take some, pretty drastic measures. It could be that they are going to install another bye week later on in the season, maybe two bye weeks to kind of put buffers in. If, if there are games that have to be canceled, you can put, push them back to, you know, 
week 12 or, you know, maybe there's a week 18 that happens now. It's, there's, there's a lot of different things that could potentially be done, but I would have liked to see the NFL maybe plan a little better ahead of time for this kind of situation because it seems like they're just kind of figuring it out on the fly. And, and that's not the, the kind of direction that should be given by, you know, probably the premier, um, you know, professional sports league in, in, in the world. And I'm disappointed yeah. to see how it's come to this. And I, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know, it cracks me up because they waited what, like two or three weeks when they released the schedule from what they were initially going to release. So they could make sure that they were like adding adjustments for whatever might happen as it relates to COVID. And the solution was, well, we'll push games back from Sunday to Monday when we have positive tests early in the week. Really NFL. Really? I think we could do, we certainly could do better than that. And I, you know, I, I think the whole season's legitimately at risk. I mean, the fact that Gilmore was infected, was hugging Mahomes after that game. Kansas City already had a positive test on their team. If either of the New England or Kansas City teams has additional positive tests this week, I think that that's going to automatically force the NFL to postpone their games. I think you're either going to have to see a postponement or a forfeiture of the Tennessee game this week, um, which is just mind-boggling because they have finally just gotten out of the woods. Um, in terms of positive tests. Um, and once we see that, I think you're right. I think that the NFL is going to have to build in a buffer week and just start to give everybody off and start to jigger around the schedule if they can, or or the wheels are going to come off this whole thing. But my hope is that we see what we saw with baseball, where you had a couple early infections amongst teams, and then they really got it together um, when they really clamped down. But baseball teams are smaller um, contact amongst players during practice is lower. Contact amongst players during games is lower. Um, the number of people that are involved in the whole production are lower. Um, and so it's just, you know, I, I think it's interesting. It's, it's going to be, the NFL is really going to test the metal of the NFL. Um, I think that they certainly, it, it certainly wouldn't be a bad thing to put the whole thing on pause at some point. Um, figure it out and come back to the drawing table. I don't, it's like the NBA. I don't think we're on a clock. Like, like, Whenever they have, they don't have to have the Super Bowl in the first weekend of February. They can have it in freaking June, and the world will not care. Um, and if it's a Super Bowl that people can actually attend in person, all the better. Um, so the ball's in the NFL's court, so to speak. But geez, it certainly seems like it certainly seems like it's much more at risk today than it was two weeks ago. Yeah, for sure, that's one hundred percent true. And it's it's not something that I was ex acting to happen. I mean, I think we all knew that this could happen in terms of like the outbreaks, but I thought that it would be better contained. I thought that teams would be, you know, forced to bring up practice squad players and they would do this con contact tracing in which anybody who was in contact with a player who tested positive would just be ruled out and they would have to like bring up guys, but that doesn't seem like the route they want to take. And I don't know if that's because they think it's going to be a bad product. It seems like that might be the case or if they just, um, think that it's still too risky. I don't know. Um, but it seems like they kind of took a risk when they went with the route of we're just going to test for two more days and hope that nobody shows up as positive and that might've worked, but it clearly didn't work because there was another positive, you know, two days later. So, um, it's, it's a really tricky situation. I don't know if there is a right answer. I think, you know, putting the season on hold is really bad from the optics perspective, um, but it might be the best way of, of doing things, kind of resetting, figuring out what has to happen and then and going forward with it. Because like you said, like they want to have the schedule on a certain, you know, set of weeks or whatever, but it doesn't really have to be that way. If they need to put a break in there, they can put a break in there. There's no reason why it can't be like that. Yeah, well, the Ravens have plenty of injury questions all on their own that aren't related to COVID that we're looking at. And our man, Lamar Jackson, missed practice um, today due to a kind of knee injury that was lingering from the end of the Washington game. We saw a bunch of guys, in addition to that, miss practice or be limited to practice, including Marcus Peters. Um, Ronnie Stanley was limited. Um, Chris Moore was limited. And I think Pernell McPhee didn't practice today. Um, so, you know, those are, those are questions the Ravens have coming up, but I think, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson's the big one. And then on the plus side, we saw Matabuke and Wolf back at practice. So, you know, maybe on balance, not, 
not the end of the world in terms of, you know, this is the time of year you start to see injuries pile up a little bit. Yeah, I think obviously Lamar Jackson is is the name that is really the one that stands out. I don't think anybody was expecting to see that. Um, and that's obviously concerning because he's, you know, the, the person that is really like instrumental to the Ravens' success. And if he was out, you know, a game that I felt confident about, I, I now feel not at all confident about. And, you know, I think like Vegas lines normally only like change like one or two points when a player goes out. I think if Lamar Jackson's out, the Ravens are favored by three instead of 13. Um, and that's pretty much how I feel about it. I don't, I don't know if, if their team is, or the Ravens team is good enough without him to win against a mediocre opponent. And I think the Bengals are probably a little below mediocre, but, um, and this kind of just brings to the point of the Ravens really know what they're doing with, with their backup quarterback situation is RG three really the answer if Lamar Jackson was not able to play. Um, so that's the thing that concerns me the most. Um, the other injuries are going to happen throughout the course of the season. Uh, you know, things are going to crop up. I mean, last, last week, Ronnie Stanley didn't play, Derek Wolf didn't play. The Ravens still won without many significant issues. Um, I, th I think that there's a few, few places on the team that are a little thinner than others, but overall the Ravens have good depth. But quarterback is the one position where they really cannot afford to to lose their starter. Yeah, you know, I was surprised when RG3 came into the Washington football team game. And you and I had talked about this separately. And uh, my reaction to that was that I felt like they were trying to get him in there so he could so he could play some snaps against his old team. But now that we're kind of, you know, at this new place, it seems as though maybe he came out because Lamar was a little more banged up than we thought. That's definitely possible. I mean, I don't recall a specific play in which he got hurt, but you know, he is, he does take some hits every once in a while. I feel like he's pretty much just handing the ball off at that point in the game. So I'm not sure if it was even like a major contact. Yeah. It was the second to last play of the game. I actually haven't gone back and watched it. Is that where the, when they say he got hit in the knee. Okay. So the other name on the injury report that jumped out at me was, um, Nick Boyle and his thigh. And so that would be a huge blow to the Ravens. Um, you know, I, you and I have talked a little bit about how Patrick Ricard in certain space and certain blocking schemes is just not like, not that great um, or hasn't been this year, obviously in line blocking, he's been that that's where he's at his strength. Um, but if Nick Boyle went down, I think that there'd be some big questions about how the Ravens would operate the offense as they're currently running it. And I think that has some questions, you know, I saw some things on Twitter today um, from Sarah Ellison and some other places where I guess, you know, Greg Roman was talking a little bit about schemes that the Ravens see on film and um, what's happening in games. And they're prepping for the traditional defenses of the teams they're playing and the defenses that they're seeing are completely different from the schemes that they're seeing these teams execute on tape against other teams. Now, a, not surprised, guys. Like, really? Like, like that surprises you? A. B, didn't you know that before you got into week three? And shouldn't you be, like, then really tuned up to see what the team is doing on tape um, and be prepared with that? And C, really, guys? Like, you didn't expect that. Like, I, I, guess, I, I guess, you know, I thought last year the Ravens likely were seeing schemes that were different than what they might have expected to see against other traditional teams going into it. So it's, it, it strikes me as a bit of surprise that Greg Roman seemed like this was a surprise to me this year. Yeah. I think that teams are going to play the Ravens differently than they play any other team, right? Like they're not going to play the Ravens the same way that they play the Cincinnati Bengals or that they play the, I don't know, Kansas city chiefs, like teams scheme up for different teams differently. And when certain teams have, you know, a unique playmaker like the Ravens have, you have to think that maybe the team is going to play you differently. And I don't know exactly how you go about doing that because if we don't see it on film, it is a little hard to kind of assess what needs to be done. And that makes sense, right? Like you, you see what teams do and then you prepare for that. But if nobody maybe you have to look at how other teams play you and say other teams are going to play us the way that 
this team played us and because they saw some effectiveness from that. So then you say, okay, how other teams are playing us, we need to figure out what they did well and try to counteract that. And we need to figure out what they weren't able to do and take advantage of that. So I think that's how you have to scout. You have to kind of self-scout. You have to watch yourself on film against the players or the teams that you have to previously played. And then based off of that, you can kind of see, this is probably how the other teams that we're going to play are going to attack us. And it's kind of like, it's not a simple formula, I don't think, because there's no clear answer as to exactly how teams going to play you. But I think you can go back to what, you know, what Tennessee did last year in the playoffs. You know, they, they kind of, you know, did, did a lot of these like cover two inverses, they did these scrape exchanges with uh, defensive end and linebackers. We've seen a lot of the scrape exchange that's happened from team to team consistently. Um, and that's a big reason why the zone read, I think, especially when Lamar keeps it, has not been as effective, especially out of, you know, heavy personnel. Um, and I think that, you know, the there has to be maybe an adjustment that's made in in what the Ravens are doing offensively to adjust for that adjustment. So it's kind of like this constant evolution that you have to be ahead of the curve. And I don't know if that's more play action, more kind of like RPOs, concepts, um, maybe doing a few different things in the way you, you know, line up the, the running backs, line up the tight ends, you know, show different motions. I think you just have to be constantly changing what you're showing teams. That way they have to constantly adjust to you instead of you adjusting to them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's even overcomplicating it to a degree for the way I see it. And the way I see it is is rather simple. Like, look for what teams start to do on tape. Be ready to attack everything. Attack things teams are doing during the game. <laughs> like, you know, it, the Ravens have always been a team, in my opinion, that have been very good in the second half because they're very good at adjusting. And they just struck me as very the only reason I wanted to talk about on this podcast is I was just really surprised by it because I would assume that any NFL coach would assume that they need to watch what's happening in their current game and adjust to whatever that is and that there's only so many things that a team can exhaust in their game plan coming into that game so like on the very first first or second play of the Washington football team game you see Landon Collins essentially sprinting towards the line of scrimmage when Nick Boyle comes in motion because they think it's going to be a running play like it's, and then you saw success when the Ravens attacked the very middle of the field where the safeties or those linebackers would be vacating those spots to give help to let you scrape to the outside on those plays because you have more help on the inside of those plays. So it's just really surprising to me that I guess this team didn't feel like they saw some of these things. I think these things should become evident on tape and they should be able to attack them just like you were talking about. Um, but I guess it was just... I'm certainly, I like Greg Roman. I like his scheme a lot. I like what he does, but I think his passing concepts either haven't gotten through to the players and they're not executing them correctly, or he's not able to execute on those to the level that the Ravens are going to need them, or he hasn't been able to adjust when the things that he wants to do get taken away. And he may be a little too stubborn in those things. And so I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on both of those level kind of things to see what happens with the Ravens offense as we kind of head into the next couple of weeks. I think you make a really good point about the in-game adjustments. Um, that's definitely something that I think the Ravens could be doing more of. And I think it's kind of, you know, all the time we hear about, you know, making halftime adjustments. But I think with the way the NFL and technology is modernized, you really need to make like series by series adjustments um, and see what, what the opponent did in the last drive that you had and see what they did well um, and what you missed and then figure out what you're doing well and just keep doing that. And then also, you know, figure out ways to counterattack what your opponent's doing. And that has to happen in real time. You can't wait, you know, a quarter or two quarters to figure that stuff out. And the other thing I think that's going to be an evolution of the offense is Lamar's ability to audible at the line and to get out of a bad play. I'm not sure that the offense is there yet. I feel like they're going to line up how they call the play and they're going to run that play um, without a lot of kind of options baked in as to what the defense is showing you. And I think that's something that we need to see as the offense progresses, as Lamar progresses as a quarterback, um, his ability to see what the defense is showing him and adjust accordingly. And I think when we see that, then we're really going to get to the point where he's kind of at that upper tier 
of not just, you know, his athleticism and his ability to make plays, but also of dissecting the defense and knowing where he can attack them and how he needs to adjust even in a specific play to take advantage of what they're showing. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you that all those things are the evolution of any elite quarterback. So that's going to have to happen for Lamar. I just want to see Greg Roman Ray plays that attack multiple levels of a defense on the same play. Right. Like, like, it feels to me like Greg Roman sees things on tape in advance of games, writes plays to attack those specific things, and doesn't write secondary bailout options if that thing isn't what they do to take those plays away. And so we've we've just seen a handful of plays where things like that happen. Like there was a Marquise Brown, the, the, the third down in the, in the Chiefs game, where Brown is running the crosser, Dobbins is running the crosser, and Boykin is running the crosser. Like what I think they saw on tape was a Chiefs defense that was dropping back and letting that underneath thing happen. Like, like Roman was trying to stretch them horizontally and that's just not what he got. And he thought that's what they were going to do. And you could just take one of those routes and change them. And the whole, the whole play would still be workable as a second read. Um, so hopefully we start to see a little bit more of that. And hopefully this is kind of how Roman has to adjust to how he comes into games. And, you know, I think if that happens, you know, there's plenty of room for improvement there, but Greg Roman's also not the only guy that we have to see improvement from or that, you know, that, that has struggled a little bit this year or done well this year. Um, I thought we could go through a couple guys that we thought maybe through the first quarter of the year, you know, we could pick a couple guys each that need to improve and a couple guys each that we think have performed really well. Um, you know, I think the first guy I'd pick that has to improve along with Greg Roman is Matt Skura. Um, a guy that I advocated for the need for on this line. I thought that the Ravens were a little bit better on offense with him last year before Macari got here. Um, but he just doesn't seem to have it. And he either needs to, the Ravens either need to make a, a decision about how they're using him because of his limits, or they need to replace him to have a guy that's going to play a little bit better. But he's one of the few, he's not, not one of the few. He's one of the guys that has missed a few plays here or there that has really set the Ravens back in some big moments. Yeah, I think, well, at least I hope that Skura will get some kind of improvement as he feels better with his body. Because anytime you have a kind of injury that he had where, you know, you basically blew out the entire knee, I think three ligaments were, were torn. Um, it takes a lot of time to recover from that. I think it was kind of a miracle that he was able to start the season. Um, he obviously put in a ton of work in the offseason and that allowed him to be in the physical condition to be able to play. But I don't think he is quite at the level that he was uh, that we saw last year. Um, he just doesn't quite have the same mobility, the same anchor, I don't think, in pass protection. And something you want to definitely see an improvement. I don't know if that's something that can happen over the course of the season. It might happen. It might not. Do you think that is something that the Ravens would change if you see him at his current level of play, or you think you can still stick with him and still get success? Yeah. You know, it sounded like they were going to go with Fluker all the way right up until the moment they didn't. So, you know, I think they might, you know, if they think he's been ineffective and that's their rating of him, then then maybe they would. Um, and especially if they need to win games and they think it's holding them back. So you think it'll be Makari that comes in and plays the center? Yeah. I think it'll be Makari if they do go away from Skura. Because he's been the first, he's been the first offensive lineman as their like as their like third tight end in those jumbo packages. So I think he's the first guy up on the the offensive line. Yeah, that would that would be interesting. I mean, there's definitely a few things that the team could potentially do. Um, you know, you could move Bozeman to center. You could plug in Fluker then at left guard potentially. Um, I, I don't, I'm not moving. I'm not moving Bozeman. He's on, he's on my list of guys I've been really impressed with so far this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. But you know, if you have someone like that who could play at center, then that's also a, a benefit. So, but I think in general, you're right. I think you keep the player who's playing really well at the position he's playing really well. Um, I think you definitely want to see a few more games out of Skara and see if maybe you do get some improvement out of him before you make a change. Yeah, very well on the bye week. It could, it, it, that's probably a measuring point. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about um, someone who I think is also needs to show me something. And, you know, we, we probably all talked about him a little bit, and that's Patrick Queen. Um, I, I don't think you can look at the Ravens defense and not see him as kind of the 
biggest weakness on it right now. And, you know, obviously when you have a first round draft pick that, you know, was kind of universally praised as, as a great fit. Um, and you obviously spent the draft capital, you have the need for him, but he's not playing up to expectations. And I think we see that, you know, on a weekly basis that he's out of position, you know, other players are looking at him like they don't, like he's, they're saying, what are you doing? Um, he's just being lost in coverage. I mean, he's been better in run defense than in coverage, but these are issues that um, I think you want to see corrected. And if they don't become corrected at some point, you might see other players filling in for him, I believe. Yeah, I'll flip over to the offense on um, other uh, a guy that I think we need to see some improvement to is Miles Boykin. Um, the Ravens have given him a lot of chances, and he's got he's got Devin Duvernay breathing down his neck. We saw him on the kickoff return. We've seen the Ravens start to work him in. I thought his biggest play of the year was on Lamar's rushing touchdown last week. You saw him blocking his guy all the way down to the end zone. Um, and so Miles Boykin's advantage has always seemed to be that he's that bigger guy and he can block downfield. But if Duvernay continues to get opportunities and show that he can block in those situations, I think Boykin's going to start to lose his role too. We're at risk of. I, th- I think that could definitely happen. Um, I mean, Boykin, you know, he's made a few big catches for the Ravens. Obviously, he converted that that punt, um, fake punt, which was nice, you know, and he's made a few other catches as well. But he's also kind of been on the wrong side of a few plays in which you'd like to see a little bit more out of him as well. Um, obviously, the interception last week um, still is, is in my mind. I think I was probably, you know, Boykin not writing the right right route i think he was probably a little lazy out of his break and that caused interception so um i don't know what what the leash is with boykin i think he's shown enough that you don't want to completely take him out of the rotation but maybe you're just kind of taking down the the depth chart you know a little bit and he's maybe your third or fourth wide receiver instead of your starting um x y receiver so that's something I could, I could definitely see happening. Um, if, if you're doing the offense, maybe I'll stick on the defense. Um, and I, I think the person that I would like to see a little bit more out of is actually um, Derek Wolf. Um, he's played a lot of snaps up front, and he, you know he's he's done a few nice things, but I feel like in general he hasn't kind of been the interior um, disruptive player on passing downs that I would have expected or hoped. Um, you know he's been in a few pressures, I think, and he's definitely, I would say, a solid player up front, but I think with the talent around him, especially when he's next to Campbell, you'd like to see him take advantage of, of, of those opportunities a little bit more, and, and, you know, maybe he's been fighting through an injury. I'm not sure exactly how long he's been dealing with something, um, but I think he's someone who the Ravens really need to take a step up if if they're going to kind of be able to generate more of a consistent pass rush. Yeah. So flipping over to guys that I think I've been impressed with so far this year, Tyree Phillips is near the top of my list. He's not just in his performance the last couple games, but also how far he's come. He was, I thought weeks one and two were, were not his best performances, but I thought he performed rather well in the Kansas City game and really well last week. Um, and that's really good to see out of a young guy. Um I think he's he's got a really good chance of being a good guard for this team, and it was a pick that was kind of under the radar and and not really heralded, so to speak, amongst all those all those draft picks of which the Ravens got such great credit. So I've been really glad to see him performing at a really high level. I'll go with Marquise Brown. I, th- I think he's been a difference maker in the Ravens' offense this year. Um, having him as someone who can stretch the field deep. Um, someone who can attack the intermediate um, levels of, of defense, I think has been his probably strongest point. Um, he's someone who's really shown a lot more consistency this year. I think obviously not having a screw in his foot has made a big difference for him. And he's someone who Lamar Jackson has, has a lot of trust in. And he and Andrews obviously both are, are main targets for Jackson, but I think Hollywood is really starting to become that go-to guy in terms of like your third and long. He's someone who's able to get open. Um, he's able to beat man coverage. He's, you know, shown a good, you know, understanding of the finding this the soft spot in the zone. And, you know, he's also been able to work with Jackson when he scrambles. I, I think 
all those things are really great to see. And obviously we hope he's, you know, is able to stay healthy for the entire season. I think he's going to be, you know, a big part of, of the Ravens offense and, and why it can still be one of the top um, units in the NFL. Yeah, I, I guess on defense, you know, we've seen a lot of solid performances from guys. I mean, I think you can lump Humphrey and Calais Campbell um, into kind of the playing really well already guys. But I think Brandon Williams would be my under the radar guy that's been playing really well. The Ravens have been really good in nickel. And in general, when Brandon Williams is on the field, it's stopping the run. Um, and it's gone, gone to show the value of why they placed it in him as no, at nose tackle um, and and how good he really can be at that position. It's too bad the Ravens basically had two nose tackles, um, you know, the last few years at the early end of his contract when Pierce came in undrafted um, and that Williams was the better player. So they asked him to do the lesser or the role that he wasn't as good at. But I think he's been really stout this year. We've seen him push the pocket a little bit. Um, he's been really good against the run, both laterally and on power runs. Um, I'm glad to see him. I'm glad to see his improvement this year. Yeah, I think Williams has been really good, um, especially against the run. As you mentioned, he's he's been in there and a lot of these kind of like nickel packages for the Ravens, and they've been able to stop the run when they have you know, five defensive backs. And that's really a key because if they can do that, that, that gives them, you know, versatility, ability to cover better in the back end, but also still be able to um, be light enough up front to still get after the passer, but also stop teams from, from running on them. And, and in the past, we've seen teams be able to do that. We've seen them have a lot of success running on, on the Ravens sub packages. And I think having Campbell and Williams together up, up front has been a really big um, improvement. So I think the player that I would say has been also been really impressive is, is Tyus Bowser. Um, I, I think he's definitely, you know, taken another step forward in his development in his fourth year. You know, he kind of had, he's had a little bit of a slow development curve, but he's kind of been consistently given more responsibility in the Ravens defense. Um, he's playing a lot of snaps now opposite of Matt Judon. Um, He's, he's a good pass rusher. He's a good coverage guy. Um, I think he's probably gotten a little better against the run. And I think that he just turned into a, a good, solid, all-around outside linebacker. I think you've compared him in the past to Jarrett Johnson, that kind of that kind of player. I think he's a little bit more, um, you know, skilled in terms of, of a pass rusher, maybe not quite as stout against the run, but that kind of, kind of guy you can do a lot of things for you on defense and that's a really important and versatile skill set that the Ravens are taking advantage of right now. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're talking about a couple of Ravens defensive guys, what do you see? What do you see on um, the Ravens defense this week against um, this Bengals offense and, and, and what direction do you think that's going to take? Well, I, I think that the Ravens defense is clearly very talented. Um, they, they, they last week against Washington, they played a very vanilla kind of scheme, very vanilla approach. They didn't do a lot of of these kind of like deceptive blitzes where they, you know, blitz like three different, you know, defensive backs and outside linebackers and drop several guys in the coverage. You know, they, they did that, you know, one or, once or twice, but for the most part, they did a lot of four man rush, especially in the second half with, with a big lead. Um, so I'm not sure if they'll take that similar approach in this game against. Uh, Bengals offensive line that isn't best. Um, I think they're a little better than what we've seen in recent years, but um, they're still not and probably like a mediocre unit at best. Um, I think if the Ravens want to dial the pressure, they can definitely, um, you know, bring a good amount of of difficulty to Joe Burrow. Um, obviously, rookie passer who is shown a lot, I think, as a rookie. He's impressed me quite a deal, um, but he doesn't have a lot of the, you know, the veteran nuances to his game yet. And he doesn't really, sometimes he'll hold onto the ball too long. I think that's something that the Ravens could take advantage of up front. Um, you know, I think maybe you can throw some kind of tricky coverages at him, um, you know, have some looks where you switch the coverage um, from what you look to, to kind of change it behind you. Um, I think those are the kind of things you you want to do against a rookie quarterback. And 
you know, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that they just throw everything at him. I think that's something that we might do. I think maybe they just didn't want to show anything on film last year or last week, I should say. And they wanted to kind of throw the complete kitchen sink at, at Burrow this week. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen, but the Ravens definitely have the talent to, to match up. Um, I think the Bengals have some good offensive weapons and, and they can potentially score points if the Ravens are complacent in this game. Um, you know, the, they drafted a, a wide receiver in the second round, Higgins, who I, I was a really big fan of. And he looks pretty good. He, you know, he's starting to step into a role basically as their number two wide receiver. And I think he's someone who the Ravens are going to have to account for. Um, Tyler Boyd plays slot wide receiver for them, but he's their number one target. Um, he's also a good player. He's given the Ravens trouble in the past. Um, you know, Marlon Humphrey's probably going to match up with him. I, th- I think that's a good matchup for the Ravens, but, you know, someone who you're going to have to account for. And then you have Joe Mixon, who's had a really big game last week against the Jaguars. You know, I think he had like 150 yards on the ground, three total touchdowns. He was someone that really was a difference maker for the Bengals. Um, he's someone who will leak out of the backfield and be a problem in the passing game. And, and I think that, um, you know, the, the Ravens are going to have to account for him at all times or he can beat you. And I, I think, you know, that's something that I want to be close eye on because if, if you, if you let guys go unguarded, then you, you're going to having some issues and they've, they've had issues with that in the past when, when guys sometimes leak out of the backfield, I like to see them kind of guard him at all times. Yeah, I'm interested to see what the Ravens do schematically. So when I watch the Bengals on tape, I see a pr- pretty vanilla offense. They're not doing a ton of creative stuff. They, they do screen um, a fair amount. So the Ravens definitely have to improve on their screen approach to the game last week. I think that's that's good. That's a good practice for them anyway, <laughs> regardless. Um, they get the ball out quick. A lot of three, five-step drops. They're looking to protect burrow because they know that their offensive line isn't the best in the world which is a little bit of an understatement for them um so i think they're trying to protect him with the scheme as well um i mean they've got an interesting handful of wide receivers you know that come with that that you were just talking about higgins played a little bit better and and they do all kinds of different looks with Mixon. they'll kind of do this little shotgun pitch to the left side in addition to the inside zone to the opposite side um they don't run a ton of like complex combinations in terms of their routes downfield, but I think it's because they're just not running them. So, but you know, that's consistent with what we've seen from the Bengals the last few years, right? With, with Andy Dalton, the Ravens, I feel like didn't sack him a lot, even when they brought a lot of heat because the Bengals just look to get the ball out of their quarterback's hand. Cause they know they don't have a great offensive line. Um, so I expect to see that. I, I kind of wonder if the reason we saw it toned down a bit against the Washington football team is for the same reason. Um, that the Ravens plan on turning it down this week too. And it certainly then can beg the question of, can we as a team tone down these rushes and still generate a pass rush, get these guys used to it, get them in the situation for it. You know, I have no, I have no problem with them kind of dialing it back a little bit, letting Peters and Humphrey do their thing and letting the secondary do their thing um, and give these guys on the, the defensive line a chance to try and go and get after the quarterback. Um, play tight coverage on these guys, be looking for, you know, be looking for the screens and be looking for those part of things. But I just don't, the only thing that scares me is the familiarity that Cincinnati has with this Baltimore team. There have been too many games recently where, particularly when it was still Dalton days, where the Bengals just scored too many points for my taste against the Ravens. And some of those were the Ravens kind of, giving up too much and kind of letting them take too much. And others were just kind of, I think, I don't know. There, there were lapses that I didn't find to be completely acceptable from the Ravens performance. And I think that that that's just tendency stuff um, that Cincinnati is able to pick up on film. So, you know, I, I think on the other side of that, you know, we've got to see progression from Patrick queen. Um, Justin Matabuke is a guy that I'd like to see get on the field and see if he can actually generate a pass rush. It's like, Time's up on that. We got to see if you're going to add something there or not. Or even as you talked about Derek Wolf, see some improvement there. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with Blake Harrison. He's, it seems like he's been a little bit more and more in the doghouse. He played a little bit early last week, but then you saw Chris board a little bit more often in that game than I would have thought or liked to see. Cause Chris board just hasn't been great. 
Um, so I'll be interested to kind of watch Harrison, also the Ravens safeties, you know, Elliot and Clark, I think have played well enough, you know, better than average, but not well above average. Um, I think there's a r- some room for one of those guys to make a play, but you know, Anthony Averett's a guy that I, I also think that we should be keeping an eye on. Um, you know, I think you probably heard your boy, Brandon Carr got released from the, the Dallas Cowboys. He is not yet a Raven. I think the Ravens have a lot more faith in Anthony Averett than the fans do in general. And I thought he played pretty well last week. There are going to be times where he's the guy that gets targeted. So it's just the guy that they're going to throw at. And even if there's an inch of separation, that's the guy that sometimes the throw is going to go to. And if it's a really good throw, it's going to be a completion. Or if he messes up, there are plays where Humphrey or Peters are going to mess up coverage and they're not attacked because the quarterback's not looking at them. Averett does not have that luxury. Um, and so that's why you'll see him get singled out some of those times. But I thought he's been playing really well, and there's a chance for some improvement there. And I think the Ravens should continue to give him some opportunities on the outside because, you know, regardless of what happens this year, they're going to need him, I think, in the secondary over the next couple of years. Yeah, the Ravens um, have definitely been leaning on Averitt. They put a lot of trust in him as their basically their nickel cornerback. Um, they, ha- they have him starting outside when, when Humphrey comes in and plays a slot or when Humphrey moves inside and plays a slot and, and a lot of teams are, you know, using kind of a three wide receiver as their base these days. And Cincinnati is one of those teams. Um, I'll say one thing about Cincinnati, but you mentioned they're pretty vanilla in scheme. They're also pretty vanilla in personnel. They pretty much just stay in 11 with a sprinkling of 12 personnel. So um, that's not something that is going to really help them. I don't think much in this game because I think the Ravens will match up well against that. They can pretty much just stay in nickel, maybe do some time maybe do some like jumbo nickel. Um, but I think for the most part, um, the Ravens have defenders to match that pretty well. Um, and like you said, Averitt's a big part of that. He's going to be playing outside. Um, Jimmy Smith has pretty much just played safety for the Ravens. They, they don't really have him playing much cornerback. They, they had him, I think, in the first game in which Tavon Young got hurt, he played some outside corner. But since then, he's mostly just been safety. And, you know, I think he's actually played pretty well in that role. Um, so I wouldn't be necessarily looking to move him off of that. So I, I do think that the Ravens in this game in particular will, will be best suited playing a lot of man coverage. I think that that allows them to put their players in a good position to succeed. Um, the one thing that I mentioned earlier that concerns me is who's covering, you know, Mixon or Bernard out of the backfield. Um, that's probably something that's going to be a linebacker responsibility. And, and that's a bit of a concern. Um, with with Patrick Queen's kind of issues in that. So that's something that I'm going to keep my eye on. Um, I I do think that if you do a lot of zone and not do something interesting with it in terms of, you know, bringing some different people from different alignments in the pass rush, that that Burrow can get the ball quick and and find some guys um, in in the coverage. And that's something that he's, I think, done really well um, as as a rookie quarterback. So I I do think this is a a game where where the Ravens should – do as much as they can and man, you know, obviously try and, you know, mix it up a little bit, but I think that gives you your best opportunity to both, you know, use blitzes and also, um, you know, just take away their, their best weapons without allowing them to find some of those um, easy like spaces underneath. Yeah. So flipping it over to the other side, you know, the Ravens offense is, I, I've said this, I, I still feel like they look a little out of sync and not, not ready to go. I'd like to see them, them specifically make a couple adjustments this week. I I just, they need to run some kind of route about 15 yards, 10 to 15 yards down the middle of the field between the hashes and have the guy just turn around and stand there. Um, it's going to suck defenses into them. These zones that they're seeing, especially to try and stop Lamar from running the ball are going to get sucked into that spot or that, or they're not. And those guys are going to be wide open on a regular basis, or it's going to pull down coverage, which is going to let guys at the higher level get open. I think, I think that'll open up the Ravens offense completely. If you look at the plays where the Ravens have had success, where these big plays have happened, it's been because there's been a guy in the middle of the field that's kind of pulling things gravitationally into that spot and opening up some of these other parts. So I'd really like to see Greg Roman try and develop a way to attack that. And I'm also interested to see whether the Ravens can get this running game on track because 
it's there. I mean, from a performance perspective, they just haven't been sticking with it. Gus Edwards has been phenomenal, as we've talked about, um, and and kind of done all the things that you've, you'd expect of him. And I think in some ways, the Ravens just have to stay on schedule and use that kind of down and distance to their advantage. And I think that this Bengals team is pretty much the perfect defense to do that against. I mean, they don't have high impact defenders at really that are healthy right now at any of their levels that are, are really going to give you a lot of threats. Um, and I think that they're just from a personnel perspective, I would qualify them as relatively vanilla um, in terms of how they can be attacked. So it, it's a game where the Ravens should play some chess, especially on the offensive side of the ball. What do you think the Bengals are going to do to try and slow that down? So, you know, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Are the, are the Bengals going to do the same game plan that they had against the Jaguars? Because if they do, then I think the Ravens will just, like, take it to them. Um, because they pretty much just played cover two, and they played a lot of four-man rush, and they blitzed some third down. That's pretty much all they did. They played a little bit of man coverage, but they were extremely vanilla. Um, and, frankly, they don't have much of a pass rush. I'm not sure what the status of Geno Atkins is for this week, but he hasn't played at all this season. Um, Carlos Dunlap doesn't look like he's the same player that he used to be. Um, they have a few edge guys who have had some good um, moments in the past um, between, uh, I think, Sam Hubbard and then they have uh, Carl Lawson, who, who both you know had big seasons for them a couple years ago or maybe a year ago for, for Hubbard. But this year they seem like they just haven't done much. And... I think the Ravens have the, you know, especially the tackles to really handle them quite easily. Um, the best player for the Bengals up front has been DJ Reader, who, you know, came over from the Texans. And he's definitely um, been a force, especially against the run. Um, I think that aside from him, though, you know, they don't really have anyone that's, that stood out as being really disruptive up front. So I, I do think that the Ravens will use some interesting, you know, run schemes to be able to attack them up front. I don't know exactly if, if, the, if the Bengals are going to do some more exotic approaches than what they were showing against the, the Jaguars, um, if they have a scheme specifically for Lamar. Obviously, they were embarrassed by Lamar Jackson twice last year. Um, and I, I think that maybe they saw that and are going to try and do something different this time around, or at least if you're a Bengals fan, you would hope they would. Um, but, I mean, they really they really don't necessarily have the guys up front to do it. They, they brought over Josh Bynes, who played for, obviously with the Ravens last year, um, and you know he's been solid, I guess, but he's not anyone who's spectacular. I think you can probably take advantage of him a little bit, especially in the passing game. And like you mentioned, attacking the middle of the field with with you know tight ends or wide receiver or whoever it might be. I think we saw the Ravens do that really well in Week One against Cleveland, um, and maybe got away from that a little bit. And I'm not sure why that's been the case. Um, they seem to want to really attack down the field a little bit more than maybe they're prepared to do. Um, and, you know, I think going downfield is something that you should do, but if you have open throws, you know, in the, in the intermediate range, you should take those too. So I, I do think that, you know, the Ravens in terms of on paper should really outclass the Bengals, but um, it's, it's, it's possible that, that the Bengals have a few cards up their sleeves that they haven't shown yet. And, and hopefully the Ravens are able to make the adjustments for what the Bengals do show. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's really going to be the question. I think for me, all eyes in this game are the Ravens offense. They, they have been close um, all year in terms of really cutting it loose. Um, I think we need to see more of Devin DuVernay. Um, I, I want to see him on the field. I want to see the Ravens throw the ball deep to him. I want to see them cut him and Marquise Brown loose. I mean, you saw them... You know, there was a, a great like 15, 20 yard pass to Marquise Brown last week that was on the left side. That was a simple dagger play. Like those two guys can run that set of routes interchangeably all game long in combination next to each other. And it's going to be really, really hard to stop. And it's going to be really hard not to put a safety or extra help over the top of that. Um, it's a zone beater for sure. Um, if they run that in the way that they run it. Um, so you kind of have that in your back pocket. And then if that, if, if you're worried about the man coverage kind of lining up against that really well, put something that attacks man on the other side, easy read, look left or right for Lamar, look the other way if you can read the coverage, right? Um, the Ravens can do some of those simple things to make this game a little bit easier for Lamar. I'd also, they, I, I think that they need to, one, 
add some play action passing to their run pass option. Like Lamar has to be able to throw that ball sometimes when he keeps it now. And they need to just run a guy like eight yards behind where those linebackers are. Cause that's where you're getting that commitment from them on that kind of the scrape that you were talking about. And if Lamar can just throw it right over the top of that, that's going to be open. Um, but I also think that the play action is a, a place where the Ravens haven't done enough. Um, and if they could just, if they could get rid of that, like, and I know we saw the really big 25-yard play to Marquise Brown, but this play where Lamar hands it off and then he does a little like loopy full 360 turnaround, like if they could take that out of the playbook, I would be really relieved not to see that play again this week because they did it three times this last week. Two of them were absolute busts. One of them, the only reason it went well is because Lamar is Lamar. Um, it was they ran it a couple times against Houston. It was an absolute bust, and when they did it that way, um, there's just no need for it. I hope I, so. I hope it finds its way out of the playbook this week. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm not sure why that's something that they keep trying to do, and maybe they're trying to put something on film and then figure out a way to take advantage of that. And it's because they don't down block the outside edge guy. Like, I don't mind. Like, it's it's not the little, like, little spin move. I think the spin move is overdoing it. And I think it's taking the Mars away, eyes away from the play. But the issue is that the tackle in every single one of those instances doesn't block the outside guy and is not blocking anybody. Like, and I know I can get animated about this stuff in general anyway, but like, literally is usually looking to down block on a guy that's on the guard. And in most of these formations, when the Ravens have run these plays has had nobody to block. Um, so anyway, the, just fix that play and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, their run game, I, I feel like is just a handful of plays that are just busted every single, every single week. And if you can iron out those kinks and just like, I don't know if it's execution or if it's installation or, or what, or they're just like not communicating the play well. Maybe this is still trying to get on the same page because of COVID and not having enough time to really practice these things the way they want to. But every single game, there's there's a handful of plays where you're shaking your head saying, what on earth are you doing? Um, whether it's like the, the weird pitch play from last week to Dobbins <laughs> or you know, the, you know, the second and short in which they try to do something interesting, but just, completely left the guy unblocked. It, it seems like every single game, there's four or five of these plays and um, remove those plays or fix those plays, but don't keep putting in, in the plays that are putting you in, you know, you know, third and longs or, or what second and long or whatever it may be. Um, I, I do think that, you know, the offense is still functioning at a high level. Um, and, and most of that is due to Lamar Jackson being excellent. Um, you know, Mark Andrews has had, a, I think three, good games, one really poor game. Um, I think that he's someone who could have a big game in this one too. Um, he could really take advantage of those, of those linebackers. And if he commands attention, um, you know, some double teams, some bracket coverages, then I think you can definitely find some soft spots around him too. So that's what I'm looking for in this game. Um, I think that the Ravens clearly have advantages on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, if they don't kind of make a lot of mental errors, they should, they should win this game. Um, I'm, I'm don't know if it's going to be a 13 point spread. I think it might be a little closer than that. As you mentioned, the Bengals have, have had some, you know, weird outcomes with the Ravens and, and they tend to know the Ravens tendencies really well. Um, so I, I think that it's just going to be one of those games that, you win, you had a divisional win, it's important. You may not look incredible, but I think that that's going to be, you know, still something that we can we can build on moving forward. And you take the win and, and move on. Yeah, I, you know, we've said this a few times this year, and this is because the Ravens have a really talented team, but the talent gap between these two teams is so wide. Um, you know, I think we saw it on display last week against Washington. The Ravens did not, it wasn't their kind of, a game in terms of either game plan or execution. I don't, I wouldn't call it like a D, but it certainly wasn't an A, maybe a C plus on both sides of the ball for both game plan and for execution. Um, some things went right. Some things went wrong. Um, I think the reason the line is 13 is because if the Ravens play a B plus game, then this is a 20 plus point win. Right. And, and Vegas has to hedge against that. And so yeah, obviously with them being divisional, that that always throws a little bit of a wrench into the plans. But I think that the whole 
I think the whole NFL is waiting for the, or, or at least the sharps of the world are waiting for the Ravens to kind of cut it loose here. Um, because there's been, other than the Cleveland game, not great performances overall, but still fantastic results, right? Second best point differential in the NFL, best point differential in the AFC, like two points away from being the highest scoring team in the AFC. Um, and only reason they're not is because they, they didn't get to play the Dallas Cowboys like Cleveland did. I think Cleveland scored 75% of their points against the Cowboys last week. I think the Cleveland is still scoring points against the Cowboys last week. Um, so, you know, given those factors, and, and I've certainly been critical of the Ravens because, you know, my position on this is that I think the Ravens are a dynasty team. I think that they, they are at the front end of what could be, you know, dynasty level, like should be in the same conversation as the Chiefs during this, this time um, for as long as the Chiefs are as good as they are too. Um, and, and I, I feel like the performance that we saw through the first four weeks are a 10 and six level performance team. Um, and I think this team is much better than that, um, both in game plan and execution. Um, and I think we're going to start to see that this week. I think the Ravens are going to win by 20. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see 50 points this week. 50 points. Wow. Yeah. 50 points. I think we're going to see a defensive touchdown and I think Lamar and the Ravens are going to cut it loose. I mean, I definitely would be excited to see that happen. I feel like that's a pretty rare, rare um, plateau to reach in the hardball era. It's probably happened once or twice. Um, but I, the one thing I think that keeps keeps that from happening is that if if you're up, you know, four scores, they're going to put, put RG three in, and then I think that's probably not going to be attainable. Um, I kind of cheated. I came up with 50 because it was 49 last year when the Ravens played Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Um, and as you pointed out, the Ravens scored zero points in the fourth quarter of that game. So that's where I kind of inched it up to uh, push it over the top. Yeah, maybe maybe defensive touchdowns get involved, in and that's how you get to that number. So I, I, guess, I could see it happening. I think it's more likely that they win by the same kind of like 14-point spread that they've been doing because they basically slow the game down in the second half. You know, a lot of these games that they've – I feel like they've put up like 250 yards of offense in like week one in the first half. And then they just kind of slowed it down in the second half. And they, they've done that in a couple of games. I think they did it basically in every game that they've won. They, they haven't really kept the foot down on the gas pedal. And it's, maybe, it's to me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say maybe if they get out to the lead, they need to do that. Maybe they need to keep the foot down and just, and just be like, okay, we can, we can actually get these things clicking. We can, do things other than run the ball 10 times in a row we'll throw a couple of play actions in there and, and put up some points. To me, the difference is the defense. We've seen way too many drives that are way too many plays that have run way too much clock that has prevented the Ravens offense from being able to run more plays. And, and if I'm John Harbaugh, I am, that is what is, I am putting on Wink Martindale's plate this, this week. It's like, we have been, I, I don't even know if it's been, I would call it too passive, but it's like, we've just got to get off the field on third downs get the ball back in our offensive hands, like let them have more possessions, let them have more plays. That's how we're, uh, you know, that that's how we're going to win games in the long run. And that's how any NFL team is going to win games. You got to get off the field on third down and, or you gotta, you, you gotta, you've got to force their towns and then get off the field. And the Ravens defense, you know, they haven't been getting up, giving up a ton of yards, but they just haven't done that this year. Um, and so I think that's also part of the formula to see, see some more points so um you got a player of the game that you take um let's let's start on the offensive side of the ball i'm, I'm going to say that this time it's Devin duvernay's breakout game i think maybe he's the guy who catches a long touchdown pass from lamar maybe you know he gets five catches 80 yards and a touchdown i, I think maybe he gets an end around for 30 yards too i could see something like that happen from him and i would really like to see him get more involved in this offense because i think he's a playmaker um, and if, if you get him and get his confidence and get some reps for him, I think he can be a difference maker for this team. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gus Edwards. I think the Ravens have seen enough of him being successful on tape. I think they want to run the ball. I think he's very capable of putting some big runs onto, you know, in that process. And we're going to see a big game from Gus Bus. All right. Um, defensive side of the ball, I'm going to say this is the Marcus Peters two interception game. I think, you know, Burroughs might throw a couple of balls that are maybe he doesn't quite read the coverage the way he should. And, and Peters is sitting there waiting for it to happen. And, and he snags a couple in, in this game. That would be, that'd be fun to see. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's a very real case that that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to go with Calais Campbell. This this defensive line is a wreck, or offensive line is a wreck for um, for Cincinnati, and I think they're going to give a lot of attention to Judon, try and slow him down, and I think Calais Campbell has been really right there on the cusp of having a couple of big games. So I'd like to I, I'd like to see him push through and and take down Burrow a few times this game. Yeah, I was thinking that he's definitely in this match. I think the interior of, of their offensive line is probably their weakness. And if Campbell can, you know, get some one-on-ones in there, he can disrupt and and definitely maybe get his first sack of the year. And I think we're both trying to avoid taking kind of some of the obvious guys. I mean, Marlon Humphrey has just been a baller. Lamar Jackson's going to have a good game, um, you know. <laughs> so when we pick, when we make some of these picks, I think we're trying to also make a little bit of an adjustment, like a star adjustment. I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a really good game, but I think at the end of the day, there are going to be some other parts that are going to help this week. So hopefully we got a good outcome on Sunday. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in um, and listening. You guys can check us out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We'd love to see you on the forums over there. And you can also see us on Twitter. Um, He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Thanks for tuning in.